Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So it's Ephesians chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given As Christ apportioned it, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, again, a very good evening to you all. Can I just say, uh, as, as we start, thank you so much for your welcome and for your, your prayers. I know it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing in, in many ways where you're, you're praying for someone you've never met and uh, you don't know anything about, but, and we've, really, we've heard lots about um, how Christchurch has been praying for us to settle in um, before we even came, and that's been a really huge encouragement to us, so thank you all uh, so much. Let's pray together as we, again, keep God's word open and hear him now. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so much for your church. We thank you that you bring us together to worship you, the almighty God. And I pray tonight we would hear you speak and we would love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why are you here? Why are you here tonight? I've been told by a few people already, oh, they're very direct in Sheffield. They like to be direct. They like to be straight talking. So I'm gonna try and fit in uh, tonight. What are you doing here? Why are you here Maybe you're relatively new, or maybe you've been part of the the Christchurch family for a very long time, but why? What is the purpose of Christchurch forward? 
Well, there'll be many reasons that people come to church, and there'll be, of course, many different ones represented in this room tonight. So cultural, it's just what you do. It's what you've always done. It's what you know. It's what you've been brought up with. Community, perhaps, for some. You like to have friends. You like to be involved with others. You want to have this good support network. Maybe it's a sort of spiritual lift. You feel better just from coming along. It makes you a better person for the week ahead. Well, our passage tonight, Ephesians 4, it gives us the reason Christ Church Fullwood is here. Why in, back in the 18, I've been doing my research, back in the 1830s, people gathered here in their cravats and their gowns and their bonnets. And why as many different cultural trends have come and gone through the decades, well, the church still stands. And it is this reason that we're gathering here tonight and wanting so many more to join us. Ephesians 4, have a look, Ephesians 4, verse 12. So that the body of Christ may be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Well, the church is to keep growing. It never stands still. And it keeps growing until it is united and mature, as it could possibly be. To see, to know, to feel, to taste, and to light in the brilliance of Jesus Christ. Is Christ Church Fullwood there yet? And by the way, I'm, I'm sorry about this strange title. I know you're, better, I know you're used to better titles, um, but I'll give, you an, I'll give you a reason why it came up anyway. But just perhaps like some others in the room, I've only heard this statement um, in the back of our car, this irking shrill in the back seats of my car over the, over the summer journey. Daddy, are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? And I'm still not over it. So I read infants in this passage. I saw destination in verse 12, and while I traumatically couldn't come up with any, come up with any other option, so I, I do apologize for that. But the question, it is a crucial one. Is Fullwood reaching unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature? Is it attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Are we getting closer to this place where we completely bask and delight in the glory of the eternal Son of God who is the only one who can completely satisfy us? We look for it in so many different ways. I know uh, many of you know this. We look for satisfaction, delight in other things. Well, he is the one who satisfies us. John 6, 35. Are we getting closer to fully realizing that? Well, Ephesians 4, it shows us this is to take place. And how does it happen? Well, it's very clear here. It's done together. One The word one mentioned seven times in this short space of verses three to six. 
You're in this together. In it together. You're in this together. Unity, unity, unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. One God with one church. And well, this should be an enormous relief to us. And it should be an enormous attraction to us. You don't need to go it alone. You see, maturity is carried out in community. And you see, the only way we can do all of this big stuff, we've read the passage, all this big stuff we're charged with in verse 2, complete humility, being gentle, being patient, Well, we have to engage with others in order to learn this. You see, you can't be humble unless you've got a potential candidate to listen to you tell them how brilliant you are and you choose not to do it. Or when you rub shoulders with someone you may naturally feel quite competitive with. Well, that's when you get better at being gentle. And it's only when someone wants to disagree with you or you have a personality clash, well, that's when your patience is really tested. You see, we push one another on. We encourage, we question, we challenge. We sharpen one another. We make each other better at being who God intended us to be. We, verse one, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And well, the writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, did you catch how desperate, I don't know if you noted it, how desperate he is for us to live this way? How seriously is he taking it? Well, where does he write this letter to the church in Ephesus? Where is he? Well, he's in prison. As a prisoner for the Lord, his commitment to them cannot be doubted. He's under lock and key because he's so desperate for them to live worthy lives. He really, really wants the church to get this right. You see, Paul knows the cost his Lord Jesus Christ went to for these people in Ephesus and the church down the centuries. He knows the lens Jesus Christ went to for every single Christian here tonight. He knows the cost. And boy, does he want us to live well because of it. You see, it's your duty to make every effort, in verse 3, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Is Christchurch Fullwood united? Well, if you're a Christian here tonight, are you really united with the rest of the church? Does it impact every way in which you relate and talk about and react and serve one another. For it should. And Paul makes it very clear from the start of his letter what you have been given. From the first couple of chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in Jesus Christ you have redemption through his blood. You have the forgiveness of sins. He's lavished it on you as a gift. So when you're tempted to flip out 
when you're fed up with someone, you're tired of looking after someone else, perhaps. Why can't they just do it themselves for once? Well, Paul reminds us, you are not to forget what took place for you to be here. Jesus Christ died for you. You have been bought at full price. There were no discounts on offer. The son of God's life in place of yours. Ephesians chapter two, verse one, you were dead, verse two, disobedient, verse three, living however you wanted, whatever your desires craved, you lustfully fed them, gorged on whatever you fancied, whatever the consequence, just like everyone else. And then in chapter two, verse three, we have these chilling words. We were by nature objects of wrath. We can be too quick to forget what we were. We were, by nature, objects of wrath. And then we have this mesmerizing statement in verse 4 of chapter 2. But, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, God really, really, really loves his church. And he's so pleased to have her that he wants to show her off. Look what I've done for them. Look what I've done to them, how they're growing. They were ugly and dead, but they are now alive and they are splendid. And in chapter four, they are one. A bunch of selfish, proud separatists will now gloriously and unbreakably united together. And as we have a brief look at these verses in the middle, we have complete unity, one, but verses seven to 10 tell us it's not uniformity. Verse seven, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You see, he knows each of us intimately and he gives us what he sees best to give us. And the picture of church here, well, it's very, very far from a North Korean military display. You see, unity doesn't come about through everyone being the same. No, the church is rich in diversity, different likes and dislikes, different strengths, different weaknesses, different tastes in music, some like sports, some like coffee and reading, different opinions on education, politics, entertainment choices, differences that give color and vibrancy to the church, but also give opportunity to show grace to one another. And above all, to show how she unites around something, someone, so much more important than anything else in their life. So when a united supporter Sheffield United supporter brags to a Wednesday fan about drubbing Villa or a George Ezra fan worships alongside someone who favors 
Brahms Piano Quartet Number 1. Well, they can all say, we enjoy these things, but they cannot compare to the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and we're united in him and him alone. You see, God unites his rich, diverse, colorful, and vibrant people to follow together. And in contrast to how so many see church, it isn't about the the trained expert, collar on or shirt and chinos, out in front as the performer, everyone else coming in as the spectators, turning up to the, the public performance called the service, either marveling at how the professionals do it or criticizing their failures. Well, that requires very little involvement, doesn't it? Or responsibility. Can we just have a, um, a picture, Sam, of the... Uh, I don't know if you've come across this. This is the drive-in church. I don't know if you've, um, you've heard about it. Well, this is a drive-in church. And what you do here is you turn up um, in your car... You don't need to get out of your car through the whole service, okay? So there's a minister um, at the front. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the, the, the cross that way is. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, but the, um, the, the minister stands at the front. You can see him here in the bottom right. Car straight forward. When you go in, okay, you actually can get uh, your own little communion cup and, and wine uh, and, and your own little piece of bread. And everyone right, drives up here, as you see in the picture in the park, uh, and then they tune in on the radio station. Okay, so they all, they all turn on the radios, uh, they tune in, and then uh, they hear a lovely service. Okay, they have a, they have a sermon, they have, they have singing. I don't want to be too hard, I don't know exactly. This, is, this does happen. They have another room where um, you can go afterwards and they have Sunday school and things here. But this is, uh, is basically what's happening. You don't need to get out of your car. I read a few, uh, don't do this, by the way, because it's not really that edifying, but I did read a, f- a few reviews about this church, and people love it. Okay, you're laughing, but secretly, a lot of you want to, you're loving the sound of it uh, as well. But people do love this, this thing. They can turn up in their pajamas. A lot of them wanted to bring dogs along and sit in, and they can enjoy listening um, with the dogs. Well, well this, uh, I don't really need to say it to you, it's ridiculous, but this drive-in church is so, so, so far from Ephesians 4. And as attractive as this may be to some of you, Don't think of it too long, because you cannot be church, united, engaging with the diversity around you that God gifts us with. We need to engage, and we need to serve. And in a group this size, it would be very easy to just spend time with those with similar interests to them, those that we get on with. So Fullwood, it could be made up of 50 different groups, young parents, retired teens, cyclists, coffee lovers, bankers, bakers, plumbers, doctors, test match cricket fans, one day cricket fans, 2020 cricket fans. I know you like your cricket uh, up here. And if that was the case, well, we'd be not very far from turning up in our cars. There'd be slightly larger cars. There'd be a few more people in with us. But it's not Ephesians 4. It's not Ephesians 4 unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. But you see, verses 8 to 10, Christ Jesus descended to earth. He died, he rose. Well, in doing so, he defeated 
defeats and takes captive the powers of evil that rode against him. And he ascended above everything to the highest place of supremacy so that he fills the whole universe with his rule. And he intends to unite us. Verse 11, Christ gifts his beloved church with these gospel ministers. We see we've got the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. You see, he gives us these these people. He has given us these people in order that the church settles for no less than unity in the truth of who he is. And while the people, they get out of their drive-in church cars, even in the rain, and they, verse 12, they're all prepared to serve one another. And as Fullwood serves one another, well, the church body is built up. And verse 13, we're united in faith, and the Son of God is at the very heart of who we are. We know who he is, and we worship him together. We're brought to maturity as we know, we trust, and grow together as followers of Christ. It's naturally hard work, not pretending it isn't, but God's people are committed to the cause because they know the greatness of Christ. They know he's worth it. And they want to see no one left behind. So if you ask a bodybuilder how they succeed, well, they won't tell you they go to a gym once or twice a month or even four times a month. Well, what do they tell you about? They tell you about the daily routines, the protein shakes, the fitness trainers. They tell you about completely being committed to getting their bodies as perfect as they can be. And while the church body is built, I was going to say in the same way, it's very much not built in the same same way, but you get the idea. The church is built with total commitment. And note here, there's nothing about young and mature Christians. Actually, and I know that's a popular way we can describe uh, one another. Often, but there's, there's nothing here about young and mature Christians separately in the church. The Bible doesn't divide church up like that. Remember, it's one body maturing together. So there's no point complaining about the rest of them needing to get into shape. You either pull them up or you get dragged down together. And as we close... Did you note how you actually tell if you are growing? What is the mark of maturity here? How do you know if you're mature in faith? Is it when you know lots of Bible verses or maybe when you start to feel closer to God? Maybe it's when you become happier and more peaceful. Or maybe it's when you come out with big wise comments in a deep voice. Ephesians 4, it doesn't give us any of these, as helpful as some of them may be. Verse 14, it's all about their discernment in the truth, in teaching. You see, childish, immature faith, 
Well, that's when you're led astray by whatever teaching becomes fashionable at the time. So crafty teachers do come along. They may flaunt their qualifications, their fancy titles. You tell them to trust. They tell you to trust in them because of their scholarly abilities or through their engaging personalities. And they twist. They twist Scripture in clever ways. And while an infant is convinced and impressed, but it is only when a church is steeped in God's word, you sit under God and you willingly allow him to disagree with you. So even when that's hard, even when the desires are so strong, they mean so much to you, you allow him to disagree with you because he's God. Truth and love, that's why this passage finishes, that's what Christ's body is steeped in, and it is how they go about their unity. You see, they are desperate to stand firm in his truth, whatever comes their way. And the motivation, well, it's always love. They graft and toil and sweat, serving one another, pushing one another on, determined to become like the head. Because growing in Christ, well, it means everything to them. So when the mature church has a family in grief, expressing perhaps anger, honestly anger at God, while they lovingly listen, they support and grieve alongside, but they're always speaking truth about the kind and merciful God who loves them and knows what he's doing. As hard as it is, he knows what he's doing in running his world. When a member dishonors God, dishonors Christ, they don't remain silent, as easy as it is, just to hope the problem will go away. No, they come alongside to correct and encourage repentance. They can't bear to see them fall. Can you bear to see one of your Christian brothers and sisters fall? Even if it risks breaking the relationship. Well, a united church can't bear it. See, when people are serving and growing, well, the church celebrates. It celebrates what God is doing in one another's lives. See, the the mature church, it doesn't have social niceties or strangers sitting next to each other at a bus stop, not wanting to bother the other. I'm sure that's probably not helpful to you because it's probably a southern thing rather than a northern thing, but again, you get the point. Their growth is too important It's too important for you to be fearful or just polite. You see, Christ is the head, the whole body joined together and held together by every, by every supporting ligament. And it's built. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each and every part does its work. Well, how this should transform our commitment to one another And I ask, again, as we close, when was the last time you were challenged by someone for not holding to Christ and his word firmly? Well, if it isn't recent, you're either perfect or we're not doing our job quite as well as we could and should. Or when did you last praise God for someone else's service to you? When did you encourage their growth? If it isn't recent, well, again, we're not doing our job properly. 
Listen, I've, I've been here, as I've said, I've been here only a couple of weeks, and I've been deeply, already deeply moved by how people care for one another here in Fullwood. And over the next few months, God willing, while a lot of my time is going to be working out many ways we can all serve one another, not just the select and keen uh, group, as big as that may be, we want everyone, the bar is high, we want everyone to be delighting in serving one another, using the gifts, and everyone here has gifts that can serve one another. And part of my role will be to give you an opportunity to make it easy for you to do that. See, Jesus will be molding us. He will be shaping us. He'll be breaking down our muscles, which can be painful. I've been told. I have no idea. I don't go to the gym. But I've been told it's painful for muscle damage. But it apparently grows bigger. And our aim will to be this fitting, wonderful body to match the eternal majesty of Jesus Christ. He is the head. And he promises to give us and, and, and grow us as the body that will match. And that should be a deep encouragement for every single one of us tonight. Let's, let's pray. Oh Lord God, you are majestic in all your ways. And we come to you humbly now. We bow before you and praise you for your infinite wisdom, your goodness, your mercy, your justice, your love for us. We thank you so, so very much for your truth. And we praise the Lord Jesus Christ now tonight that he grows us to become a body that matches his eternal and perfect and wonderful and splendid head. And we pray that over the coming days, weeks, months, years, we would indeed be a church that continues to grow in maturity, to know and delight in the knowledge of the fullness of the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray it now in his name. Amen.